and welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series. I'm your host, Shay Wassell. Have you ever heard of a dyslexic tutor? Well, today's guest is just that. She works at the Working Men's College and the Central Royal School of Speech and Drama, both in London. At the age of 40, she was the first in her family to go to university and to get a degree. Today, I would like to welcome a great supporter and mentor of mine all the way from England, Sherry Schoen. Thank you, Sherry, for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure. Can you talk to us or tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up for you um, and when you were diagnosed with dyslexia? Um, well, um, sort of from quite early at, um, in school, um, I, was, I started having problems. Um, but at that stage, um, I'm in my 50s now, so... Um, the this the system didn't actually know what was going on, so I had all sorts of tests and things. Um, you know, they were giving me EEGs, eye tests. They put me on, they put me on Ritalin at one stage. Um, wow. You know, yeah, um, trying to deal with it, and um, I think it was um, identified as dyslexia, sort of around about eleven, twelve. Um, was my mother heard something on the radio and um, there was this woman who was um, talking about dyslexia it's sort of just emerging at that point in um, I grew up in South Africa Um, so I didn't have an official diagnosis until 2002 I think it was when I um, started my degree but I knew all along that so what was school like for you growing up then? Horrendous. It was just a complete nightmare. I was sick all the time. Um, I had my tonsils out because I was sick all the time. Um, huge amounts of, you know, I've, it's it's a very, very common story, um, you know, with dyslexic people. You, you're under constant, uh, under constant sort of, stress and an attack because you you're trying your best but you don't understand why you why you have this inability to do what they want you to do and the, I mean the big thing about dyslexia is that it's not a constant thing so it changes from day to day so something that you could do one day you you're completely unable to do the following day and I, I think if teachers don't have an understanding of what's going on they think you're just trying to be difficult mm. uh, yeah. And I think what what happens to a lot of dyslexic students or dyslexic people is they end up with um, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, because it's it's sort of a low-level constant attack, mm. you know, on your sense of self. Yes, we're talking about that today, actually, because I have a colleague who's dyslexic and... Um... Our boss had told us to toughen up about something, and uh, we were both saying that it, yeah, over the years, if you you develop this anxiety slash armor, <laughs> that um, mm. yeah, you're constantly questioning: Are you going to do it right? Are you doing a good job? Um, is this impacting? Can people tell that I'm not quite like other people? Um, and because you do fluctuate, sometimes if you're tired, you're not fast reader or you miss things more or anything could be happening that may impact on that day. So you're constantly in a state of worry. I guess that's how I feel. 
Um, I think I think you. Be, I mean, um, I have I have a psychology degree, and one of the th one of the things they talk about is. Um, if people are constantly under uh, attack, that you you become hyper vigilant. Mm. So you are constantly on the lookout for, you know, something that's going to attack you. You know that, that flight fight mechanism mechanism becomes oversensitized. I think. Yeah, I can completely understand where you're coming from with that. And you've also, um, we've been lucky enough to have you write a blog piece for our Dear Dyslexic site, which I'm very appreciative mm -hmm. of. And in that, you talk about um, those challenges as well, but also the common labels that are associated with dyslexic people as they're growing up around the stupid and the lazy. And I guess with those inconsistencies, because mm -hmm. one day you're good, one day you're not so good. Mm -hmm. um, how did those labels impact on you growing up? Do you feel that they shaped you to become the person you are today well if i think if people are constantly telling you you're stupid and lazy for long enough you start to question yourself um and i think but at the same time you'll have an innate sense that this isn't true you know because you know you you're trying your best and you you're working hard so i think you end up with a complete distrust of authority because you know they, they are the people in charge, the people who are supposed to be educating you, um, are not reflective of your experience. I think what also happens is that you have a counter transference thing going on in the classroom, because I think dyslexic people push. Um, teachers' buttons, you know, I'm not a good teacher because they're doing, you know, what they perceive to be their best and you, they, they, they are not able to help you. At the same time, they know you're capable. So I think, I think there's a lot of anxiety that builds up um, around that. Um, for me, what that means is that I've had sort of an unhealthy relationship with sort of alcohol, drugs, um, issues with anxiety and depression. Um, but it, I think the other thing that it's given me is um, the drive to prove that I'm not stupid. So in a way, you know, what I've achieved all comes out of that sort of um, negative. Mm, um Thank you so much for sharing that because um, on my website I share a little bit about when I was finally diagnosed at 27 and spiralling out of control and going into this mm. depression and my world imploded on me and a lot yeah. of those um, mechanisms relying on alcohol or having severe anxiety or drugs um, can really come to the forefront for people because you trying to manage so many things and it's so thank you for raising that because I think it's probably quite a common trait amongst lots of people um when you're in that constant anxiety and you're not feeling good about yourself oh, then absolutely. you start to you know use crutches whatever and that they, may I mean, be it it creates issues like self-harm personality disorder I think all of all of those things are and um and in, you internalize the system's inability to support you as your own failure. Mm. 
Yeah, you. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail And on the head for a lot of people. and I think I think one of the things that I, I tell my students all the time is that quite often our response our responses are a reasonable response to an unreasonable situation. You know, you are doing your best. And, and constantly being told that you are failing. If you don't act out, I don't think you'd be normal. Mm. Yeah, and if in, and we were just talking about that in another interview and the constant, um, we tried not to use the word fail, but you do continually feel like you're failing. Um, and if yes, you're constantly absolutely. hitting the ground and having to get back up and hitting the ground and having to get back up, which creates mm. such a resilience in people as well that have dyslexia. But sometimes it's hard to see that light and see that you actually are resilient if you keep getting knocked down all the time or knocked back all the time. And not recognizing the effort that you're putting in. I mean, it's, it's, an, you know, it's almost like a, it's sort of education is an extreme sport. Mm. <laughs> it is it's exhausting <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely and I just in the brain I just I'd be interested to see studies around fatigue and dyslexia because your brain is working so hard and especially if you like I'm in an industry where I've got to read and write all the time mm. and my brain I can feel it exhausted <laughs> and then you've just absolutely. got to cope with your day-to-day -day, everything else as well as that Well, I think I mean one of the things I think I find you know if if you think about the thing that is for uh, and again this is something that I'm constantly talking about with my students I think it's more important for dyslexic people to get that, that sort of work life balance because we have because the our day to day sort of just walking around the world reading and and what have you it it it's it's more cognitively active mm. so we we are we all get more tired than most people yeah and if you don't if you don't schedule in that downtime and the rest and all of that sort of thing you can make yourself ill mm. and yeah there are a lot of things that um we struggle with but also things that we do extremely well and you were the first in your family to go to university what did that feel like for you achieving such a big thing um what did it feel like achieve what did it feel like achieving it um i didn't i didn't know it is the next step i <laughs> you always look you're always looking forward aren't you what's yes. the next thing that you're going to do yes um <laughs> when, when you've done it it feels normal mm -hmm. that's that's what it feels like but starting it felt really scary really scary so what were some of the challenges when you started because I mean especially if you struggled so much at school then going into any type of further education is extremely scary um, so what well, were some I, of the strategies and challenges that you faced I think for, for a lot of dyslexic people and for myself just getting through the door of um, an an educational uh, institution is an act of bravery, you know, because you get you're going back into the place where where you were essentially abused, mm. um, and it was it was just coping with that sort of classroom environment, um, unpicking, you know, sort of, you know, what I could what I could change, what I couldn't change. 
um, learning to, learning to to um, schedule in downtime because in the first couple of years what I used to do was go oh I can do another an, an extra half an hour and those half an hours built up to a point where I had a sort of crisis um, physical uh, physical sort of me, uh, physical health crisis and I think that was just due to not taking enough rest and um, you know, not getting enough sleep, not taking enough downtime. Mm. Um, yeah, that, but it's the the benefits of of doing a degree at that point. Uh, oh, uh, now are are huge. I mean, it's completely changed my life. Yes, it's changed mine as well. Even though I've had to do a couple to find out where I would like to end up in a career yes. path. <laughs> Hadn't quite got there, but I think I have now. So who have been your biggest supporters? I'm I'm really lucky. I've got extremely amazing family that support me and really close friends that have helped me get to where I am. So have you had people backing you throughout your journey? Um, I would say everybody has been really positive. Um, in terms of... Uh, practical sort of academic support, the uh, dyslexia support that I got at university was absolutely uh, fundamental. Um, but I would say, I, 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 you know, I did it myself. I was single, um, you know, living in London, you know. Um, yeah, so I had to rely on myself. I'd, I, I'd done a lot of reading um, which is odd. Um, no, I've, I've always wanted. I've always wanted a mentor, and I've. I was thinking the other day. Actually, whenever I've had a question, I've gone to books, which is really odd for a dyslexic person. But I built up a lot of, you know, a lot of resilience through that. And it's interesting because some people I've spoken to. Um, love reading. I'm one of them. That's how I have downtime, mm. which I know sounds strange as a dyslexic. Um, and then other people are, are authors, but they don't read at all. Yeah. So it's really interesting that some of us like to read, some of us won't read at all, but they're really good writers, but my writing's terrible. So it's interesting how we have similar traits and find um, we're good at one thing and maybe not so good at another, whether it's reading or writing. Well, the dyslexic spectrum is really broad, so, you know, there's not one size fits all. No. Although there, there are common trends within uh, the dyslexic community, um, we are all absolutely individuals. Mm. Um, one, one, a book that's really um, worthwhile having a look at is The Dyslexic Advantage, um, where they talk about um, different dyslexic styles. Mm, I'll have to look that so up. I've, I've actually sent a, a link through of, of anything that I'm going to mention. Oh, great. And then I can post it up on the website for yes. everyone to have a look at. Yes. That would be great. Thank you. So you've gone through university and now you are a um, dyslexic tutor, which is something we don't have in Australia. So mm -hmm. what does that mean? For those of us in Australia that don't have access to one. <laughs> so it's um, conceptualized as um, in, in, um, as as providing the 
student with the skills that they need in order um, to study. I think the day-to-day -day basics of just living and um, doing things, uh, you know, sort of filling in forms and all of that, takes up so much of your cognitive effort that you don't have time to develop those um, study skills that you need. And um, so the dyslexia support is just about helping students to understand how their um, dyslexia impacts what, what they are doing on a day-to-day -day basis and um, then how to manage it. I think one of the best things to know is, you know, identify where you have the issue, decide which things you particularly want to change. Um, and then focus on that because you can't do everything. For example, I've never wanted to learn to spell. You know, it doesn't. You know, the the computer will do it for me. There's software that you, that will do it for me. Um, but I've always wanted to read, so I focused on that. If I wanted to learn to spell, I could learn to spell. But you know, it takes such a lot of effort. Um, it's not something I want to put my time into. There are other things I want to do. So are there certain strategies that you generally recommend to your students or is it just a case-by-case -case type of Well, scenario? I work collaboratively, oh, can't say the word, collaboratively with my students. So um, it's, it's about developing an understanding of where the blocks are and um, how you how you can create support around that um all of the, all of these strategies are actually outlined in um a book called study skills for dyslex for students with dyslexia by again I've, yeah yes Hoggies and jamie crab i've sent you again i've sent you the link to that thank you um one of the one of the biggest things is is about chunking all of the activities so breaking things down and um getting that sort of rest and and work balance recognizing that you're not going to be able to do um one day you know one day you'll be able to work if you can't work schedule other activities that you need to support your study it's just but being strategic about how you work so that's what we explore. And that's a, a really great um, resource, Sandra's book. Uh, she's, I'm very excited to say she's one of my mentors who's um, been helping oh. me. She's originally from Australia um, and she's been kind enough to let us um, take some of her strategies to put up on the website, which we'll be doing soon. So it's a really okay. valuable resource. Um, well, she was, she was actually my dyslexia tutor. Oh, was she? Mm. <laughs> there you go. It's a small dyslexic world. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she's been great and the book's fantastic. So um, I'm glad it you is, mentioned yeah. that um, yeah. and the chunking uh, as well. So um, anything else you think that students might find of value seeing we don't have dyslexic tutors over here that you think in Australia? Sorry, could you repeat that? Do you think there's um do you have any other strategies that might be useful for us over in Australia okay. that don't have dyslexic tutor support at the moment? 
so what I would say is the first thing I tell my students is understand there's nothing wrong with you. You're just wired differently. And if you're having problems, that you, it's because the system can't support you, not because you can't do it. Um, identify the issues that you have and decide what you want to deal with. Um, YouTube will tell you how to do most things. So... <laughs> If you if you on um, you know if you're looking for a a, a quick uh, resource of, like on um, say um, a study skills thing or if you want to learn how to do a, a, a maths problem or anything segment a chicken you know, <laughs> um, learn how to throw a tell you how to do it. Um, I think also use technology. Um, I've just discovered Google Keep, which has revolutionized my life. Um, mm -hmm. um, I've also sent you a link to DNA Matters, ah, yes. which is um, I th that Jamie Crabb, who also edited um, the study skills book. Um, he's a part of the executive um, committee. And um, they've got a, a resources section that lists all of the re, uh, technological resources that um, dyslexic people can use. Um, it's, it's very comprehensive, so I recommend students go onto that or people go onto that to have a look. Great, I'll put that up on the website. Thank you. What about day-to-day um, -day for yourself in your workplace? Are there any um, strategies that you use or is it open disclosure over there over here people don't tend to talk about the fact that they're dyslexic due to discrimination and um, workplace issues which we're trying to change through the Dear Dyslexic Foundation so in the UK all the research I've done seems that it's quite friendly and that you can disclose it and there doesn't seem to be any issues is that right? Um. In an ideal world, it would be like that. It's not always like that. Um, I think it's becoming more acceptable to talk about it. People are are starting to talk about it over here. Um, I think I think it's like any um, difference, you know, whether it's being gay or um, you know anything. Um, if people don't understand it, there's prejudice. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you you have to you have to make um, decisions about disclosure on a on a case by case basis and pick your battles. Decide which ones you're going to challenge, which ones you're going to just leave. You know, it's not worth it. Um, yeah, but I it is changing. It is changing slowly. I'm I'm very open. I'm very lucky. I work in a supportive environment. I know um, British Telecom is very supportive, but people still get um, discriminated against because of dyslexia and lack of understanding. So there um, any take-home messages for our listeners out there around um, workplace and some of the things that you use to help you get through? Um, I think know yourself, you know, and really understand that it's it's you're not you're just different <laughs> one of the things yeah over here um the 
Um, I was going to say CIA, but it's not that. <laughs> um, um, MI5 actively recruit dyslexic people because of the way they think. You know, Silicon Valley actively recruit dyslexic people. Mm. There's a there's an uh, uh, a larger number of architects um, in you know, because of the way we think. It can be dyslexia can be a huge advantage if you know you know if you understand it. Yeah, I think yeah you're right. It can be a huge advantage. It's just finding your niche. And I think it's a very useful label, but don't accept other people's interpretation of that label. You know, I think once dyslexic people start start talking about their experience, um, it will change. I mean, if you look at the DSM-5, you know, the Diagnostic Manual for, you know, Mental mm-hmm. Illness, Dyslexia is um, um, labelled as a a specific learning disability, Mm. which places it only within an academic context when you and I know it's a lived experience. Mm. You know, and until dyslexic people themselves start to talk about that, and, you know, it affects your relationships, it affects huge amounts of things. So, you know, just because it's written down and by somebody supposedly authoritative doesn't mean it's true, you know. Yeah, and that's right. It affects all facets of the of your life. And we've spoken, I've spoken before with other people around um, the hidden disability and that because you look normal and you sound normal that people forget that actually... Um, we do have these challenges and that it can impact on all different aspects of our lives. Um, but people <laughs> once forget when, that. <laughs> once when I told somebody I was dyslexic, they told me that I didn't look funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is really a hidden disability, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and I th- I think that makes it more difficult to deal with. You mm-hmm. know, the uh, the these research there's research that that says that mental abuse is actually uh, it causes more damage than physical abuse. Yeah, and I think a lot of the dyslexic school experience is abusive. Yeah, so and it yeah. But, it shapes who you but, are and it shapes your brain. Absolutely. But it does, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And you can, you can basically do anything you want. You've just got to decide what's important. You know, what's important. And it's not what's important to somebody else. It's what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And, and if you put... If you use the strategies, if you use the technology, you know, I've written a chapter for a book. I would never have imagined I could do that. Yeah, and that's what um, the whole philosophy of the Dear Dyslexic Foundation is about, is that we can do whatever we want to do with the right supports and strategies in place. So... um, We... Dyslexic people are so creative... Once they discover the strategies, they don't need, 
they don't need outside support. The very fact that they are functioning within society is proof of their capability. Mm. So the support you can, you can develop your you can develop the support yourself. Yeah. No, I don't know if I'd get through without my mum because I still ring and cry to her sometimes when I've had a bad day. <laughs> my sister. That just makes you human. It does. <laughs> you know, I think everybody does that. That's not dyslexic. <laughs> so are there any things that you would like to see change in the next five years? Um, I'd like to see dyslexia identified earlier and support to start earlier. Um, I'd like to see dyslexic people gain their own voice and um, and own the debate around what is what it means to be dyslexic. And your website is absolutely, you know, facilitating that process. So well done to you. Well, thank you. I think we've had so many. It seems to be parents that are driving the change because they're trying to support their children and really the young people and the adults. We haven't had a voice um, mm. and we haven't been in the debate. The parents have been the ones advocating. So, you know, through the work that we do, hopefully we start to give people that voice and that it's okay to talk about it and um, that we aren't discriminated against for doing that. Well, I, th- I, I think there, there is... we. I think we are currently at a tipping point in in the whole advocacy thing because more and more the debate is being carried out by dyslexic people themselves. Mm. You know, this is my experience. And if you go onto the internet, there is tons of stuff out there. Well, thank you so much for a very positive and interesting Um, podcast. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today, Sherry. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Pleasure. And some of the differences that are happening in the UK compared to Australia and where we need to start aiming towards. Um, And for our listeners out there, you can find out more about Sherry's story under our feature blog section on the Dear Dyslexic website. And until then, bye for now.